amen. As we get started this morning, I need you to do me a favor. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor. I need you to let your neighbor know uh, that this morning's message is one of those that's a little bit more direct and a little bit heavier, but that's all right because we need to hear from God, amen? So do me a favor, real quick, turn to your neighbor, let them know what's coming, and then uh, we can all be ready to hear from God together. All right, go ahead. Let's, let's make sure we have everybody ready to go. All right. Sounds like we are ready, amen? Sounds like we are ready. We are looking at the book of 1 Corinthians together as a church. Why? Because church matters, amen? Church matters. And so we're going verse by verse, line by line through this epistle. And what we're finding is that by the time Paul wrote this letter to this church... A very gifted church had become grossly corrupted. We've seen already in chapter 3 that they were immature in character. We looked at uh, the Peter pandemic. They were all baby Christians. Nobody wanted to grow up. They wanted to, to suck on the bottle of the spiritual milk. Wah, wah, wah. And, and they were just baby Christians sucking the life out of what God was doing. So they were immature in character. They were immoral in conduct. There were divisions and cliques and carnalities among them. So what we see is that Paul has called out the facts of their issues, and now he's warning them about the fruit of those issues. Or could we put it, could we put it this way? Actions have consequences. Actions have consequences. And we see Paul begin to develop this morning this reality that these Christians, and by the way, everyone, will give an account to God. Now, we also understand this morning, the moment you get saved, everything changes. We are all a part of a church building program. As we get saved, we then become tasked with both being built up in Christ, as well as doing some building up for Christ. And church, that's why it's important we grow up. You know, as we doled out chores this week at my house, we didn't one time ask Timothy to wash a dish. Why? Because he's a baby. But somebody's got to grow up and do it, amen? Because at some point you get tired of dirty clothes and dirty dishes. Somebody's got to grow up and do the work. And so here we are. We find that we're tasked with both being built up in Christ and doing some building up for Christ. And what Paul's going to teach us this morning is that there is coming a day when what we have built will be inspected by God. Now, I am not a builder. Often I feel I have to hire somebody to hang a picture. I was informed last week after talking about drywall tape that there is in fact drywall tape that has sticky on it. And so that's good for me to know. Uh, next time I will make an investment in that product. I am not a builder. There are builders here, however. And I think they'll back me up when I tell you that when it comes to building a structure, building a house, building a building, that it doesn't matter how good it looks. It doesn't matter how many people applaud it. it. It doesn't matter what it appraises for. None of that matters until the proper authority has looked at it and said, this passes inspection. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's easy to build to impress the crowd. It's not hard to impress me. It's easy to be commendable, to be applaudable. But what we find is that too many people are living more concerned about the present inspection of others than by the final inspection by God. 
Daniel Webster said this, that the greatest thought that ever occupied his mind was the sense of his individual responsibility to God. You will stand before God and give an account. I will stand before God and give an account. When I stand before God and give an account, he's not going to ask where I preached. He's not going to ask how many showed up. He's not going to have an amen counter up there in heaven. He's not going to look at the comments on Facebook or YouTube. He's not going to look at any of that. He is going to judge me by his standard. And I don't know about you, but I want to be inspection ready. I want to hear well done. I want to know that when heaven sees me, they see something real, something more than just a show. And so we're going to see here this morning from Paul's letter to Corinth in these verses uh, how you and I can grow and live to be inspection ready. Let's look at verse number 11 together. Would you read it in unison with me? Paul wrote, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I want you to note, first of all, this morning, the confirmed reservation. The confirmed reservation. You will stand before God and give an account for your life. The reservation is confirmed. You will stand before God and give an account for your life. Nothing is more certain than judgment to come. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse number 14 says this, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. In Acts 17, verse number 31, we see this, because he, speaking of God, have appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given men assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. In other words, we will stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account for our lives. To deny such a thing would be as silly as my pre-algebra students denying that they have a test tomorrow. And it was announced. And you have been given all the requisite material to be ready. Now for those students to show up to class tomorrow and be like, oh, well, I didn't really think you were serious. I thought we were good. That'd be silly. It'd be foolish. It'd be ridiculous. You will stand before God. Now, we have to understand some things about the standing before God. So I'm going to teach for a few minutes this morning. Depending on your relationship with the Lord, you will stand before him in one of two locations. There are one of two places that you can end up. One is the great white throne. The other is the judgment seat of Christ. These are not the same place. These are not the same event. So let me help you understand the difference. First of all, we'll picture over here, all right? The great white throne is the judgment of all the unsaved, all right? So I need some wicked people to come stand at the great white throne. Uh, Sam Mendoza, Frank Wiesner. You'd be a wicked man for me this morning. All right, just line up right here for me. Uh, Lucas, you can be a wicked man, right? Come on. All right. No, I pick on George too much. So I'm going to give George the morning off. All right. So everyone who ends up at the great white throne are unsaved. Only the lost go to the great white throne. Let me read you about the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11. 
John wrote this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Church, this is the great white throne. What is the great white throne? Think of it this way. It is the verdict and sentencing phase of a criminal trial. The book of life is open and their name is not in it. When their name is not in it, it is guilty, guilty, guilty. And then the books of their works are opened and as they are standing before God guilty, they are judged according to their works and sent to an eternity of nothing but the wrath of God. Forever in the lake of fire. This is the great white throne. There is no hope here. There is no help here. There is no coming back from here. There is no second chance from here. This is the great white throne. Now this is different and distinct, stay here if you would, from the judgment of the saved. There is also coming a day in which the saved will be judged before God. But this is wholesale different. You tried to give me ranch ice cream. You are not among the... You stay right where you... No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Barry Halstead, come on. Mrs. Utley, come on. Roger Morrow, come on. You guys can be my saved crew, all right? So the great white throne, think of it, it is the verdict and sentencing phase of a criminal trial. They are guilty and are judged. The sentence for them is at hand, eternal damnation and separation from God forever. Now over here we have the judgment seat of Christ. All Christians will also stand before God and give an account of their lives to God. But this is not a criminal court. This is not a criminal judgment. Think of it this way. This is like an award ceremony of an athletic competition. And so awards are going to be given out. Over here, the victory has been won. Amen? The victory has been won, and reward is at hand. And Jesus wants to give us those, those spoils of victory, those victor's crowns. Think of it as Olympic medals. God wants to reward us. This, this is the award ceremony. So these people are judged, amen? Because a lot of Christians think, well, I'm saved. I'll not be judged. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Just like an athlete in a competition, you will be judged so that the Lord might give you reward. Now, everyone here is saved. And that's important to note. And we'll we'll develop that more as we go. Everyone here is lost. These are not the same event. The idea that God just one day forms one big line and says, you here and you there, that's not happening. If you're lost this morning without Christ, you come here. Guilty. As charged. If you're saved this morning, you'll come here. Victory is won. 
But every one of us will stand before God and give an account. Either to receive the wrath we are due or the reward we are due. I'm going to tell you, I want to be here. Amen. I want to be here. Thank you, everybody. You may be seated. You have a confirmed reservation. Let me develop it a little more if we could. You will stand before God. Hebrews 9 verse 27, the Bible says this, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Meaning you will live, and then once you die, consequentially, then comes the judgment. The question is not whether you will stand before God. The question is where you will stand before God. Will you stand before him at the great white throne? Will you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ? The Bible here in verse 11 tells us that there is only one foundation to build on. That there is only one way. The difference between being saved and being lost. The difference between reward and wrath. There is only one way and his name is Jesus. John 14 and verse number 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4 and verse 12 tells us there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want to tell you in love this morning, the church isn't going to get you to heaven. You can be the best church member in the world and still end up at the great white throne judgment. The church ain't going to get you to heaven. The Baptist church ain't going to get you to heaven. The Catholic church ain't going to get you to heaven. The church isn't going to get you to heaven, period. I'm telling you, baptism isn't going to get you to heaven. You can, you can be a lost person and get dunked in a, in a baptismal pool and end up at the great white throne sopping wet. Baptism's not going to get you to heaven. No good work is going to get you to heaven. Titus 3 reminds us, not by works of righteousness which we have done, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 reminds us, by grace are we saved through faith. Not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. In love this morning, only Jesus can get you to heaven. Only Jesus can get you to heaven. And I'm going to tell you, if you reject Jesus and you end up standing here at the, before God at the great white throne, I want to tell you in love, if you end up here, there is no second chance that you will burn forever in a lake of fire separated from God under the wrath of God forever. The Bible even says the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. You say, preacher, I don't like that. Then get saved. I mean, it really is very simple. Preacher, I don't like that. Well, good, I don't like it either. Get saved. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 6 and verse number 2, that, that today is the day of salvation. No matter who you are, what you've done, you can receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. God is not mean. God doesn't make you go to hell. No, in fact, He's done everything to let you go to heaven. God is not mean. And instead, he gives you every opportunity to get saved. It's by God's grace that you're here this morning, watching this morning, listening this morning, that you get to hear the gospel. It is God's grace that he makes salvation so simple that even a child can receive it. 
So simple as Romans 10 and verse 13 puts it, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to tell you the most disturbing aspect of all of this is not that God would send men to hell, but that men would know the love of Christ and reject him. That men would know what Christ has done for them and reject him. Hear me this morning. You have a confirmed reservation. You will stand before God. Beloved, before we go any further, I beg you, you better know where you stand with God before you stand before him. You have a confirmed reservation. If you're here this morning without Christ, in just a few moments, we're going to have a time of what we call invitation. It's an invitation for you to respond to God's working in your heart. This morning, if, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the good thing is you can know that you're saved before you leave. And I'd encourage you in that time of invitation to get my attention, get someone's attention. Come to know that you know that you know that you're saved. A confirmed reservation. You better know where you stand with him before you stand before him. But I want you to see how Paul continues to develop this. Look at verse number 12. Would you read 12? And uh, we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, if we could, not 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 and 13. Read it with me. Now, if any man build up this, upon this foundation... Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So what's this judgment seat going to look like? Uh, Because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ now. So we'll leave the great white throne for another day. And now we're going to shift to what... What's going to happen when we as Christians stand before God? So, number one, we saw the confirmed reservation. Number two, we need to understand that it will be a day of comprehensive revelation or everything's going to be revealed. The judgment Paul is talking about here is the judgment seat of Christ. And he explains how saints will be judged when what we have built with our lives is inspected by Christ. 2 Corinthians gives us another description of this, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 10. We see this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Now it's important for us to understand there the word bad has the idea of worthless, cheap. Uh, And so that bad there is not necessarily a moral bad, but it is worthless or cheap stuff that we have built with our lives. So wood, hay, and stubble. Now, to look into the analogy a little bit further, we understand that a building is only as good as the stuff it's built with. Good builders build bad things when they work with cheap stuff. Good builders build bad things when they work with cheap stuff. Now the cheap stuff, in Paul's analogy, is wood, hay, and stubble. It doesn't stand up. It doesn't stand up. The costly stuff is gold, silver, precious stone, jewels. Christian, it matters what you build with. To make the application, it matters how you live this life. 
Cheap stuff, church, is that which we do for convenience. Well, I obey God when it works for me. I obey God when it's convenient. I serve God when it fits my schedule. Cheap stuff is that which we do for convenience. Cheap stuff is that which we do for self-gratification. Cheap stuff is that which we do for appearance. Cheap stuff is anything we do in the flesh. You know what? You can give the appearance that you're serving God, and you can do it in the flesh, and it doesn't matter how God chooses to bless it. If you are doing it in the flesh, it is wood, hay, and stubble, and it will burn. Cheap stuff is anything we do in the flesh, and cheap stuff, when tried by fire, will burn. Costly substance comes from faithful surrender to God. Comes from faithful service for God. Costly substance comes when I make God's priorities my priority. Costly substance comes when I choose to live on Monday what I have learned on Sunday. No matter the cost. No matter what other people say or think. Now the Bible says here that Every man's work shall be made manifest. Manifest means to be plainly recognized or known. The day will declare it, the Bible says. It will be made plain. Important for us to remember that nothing is hidden from our God. Nothing. Hebrews 4 and verse 13 puts it this way. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest or or plainly open in his sight. But all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now that's a a really good analogy there. That, That idea of being naked and open. We hide nothing. Every vulnerability is clearly exposed to God. He knows if you're using cheap Chinese drywall. He knows. The homeowner might not, but he does. There is nothing hidden from our God. And when we stand before God, the substance of your life will be revealed. Think about it. Not just how you talked in church today, but how you talked at work this week. Not just what you chose to sing here today, but what you choose to sing in the car tomorrow. Not just what you gave here today, but what you did with the rest of God's money. By the way, it all belongs to Him. No, 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 it all belongs to Him. We are but stewards, amen? Everything we have, we are but managers of for God, the owner. We will give an account. Not just how how you dressed up your kids today, but how you developed and raised them tomorrow. Hey, I'm going to tell you, it is easy To build with others in mind. What's Pastor Belcher going to think about? What's Brother so-and-so or Sister so-and-so going to think about? Who cares at the end of the day? What does God think about it? Because the Bible says that what we build with our lives will be tried by fire. Anytime you bring fire into the mix, there's a seriousness about this. To think about the fact that everything that we do with our lives, the Bible says, Jesus said, every idle word that man shall speak, he shall give account thereof. There's a seriousness here that ought to motivate us to stop living for cheap stuff that fits my wants and start living for the costly stuff that fits God's word. 
So we looked at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 10. Let's look at that one more time. The Bible says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, whether it be good or worthless. What are we building with? We, we often stop there, but we don't go to verse 11. Look at what verse 11 says. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What is the terror of the Lord? It's literally the fear of the Lord. We think, oh, well, there's no, fear of the, there's no fear of God in the world anymore. And there's not. But worse than that, there's no fear of God in the church anymore. We have, we have such little respect for who God is anymore. Even in the church. Why would the world fear God when the church doesn't fear God? You know, I think about this. You know, I tell my kids, go clean their room. I remember not too long ago, I said, go clean your room. And they had to clean their room before they could do such and such and such and such. Don't remember what it was. Doesn't matter. And so uh, one of the kids came down and said, my part is done. And I said, all right, good on you. I said, is it done to my standard? It is done to your standard, Dad. I said, good. That's what I like to hear. Now let me go check. Now as soon as I got out of my chair, guess who was back upstairs? But the sad reality is most of us have a greater fear of what our boss might do to us if we show up late this week than what God's going to say to us when he looks at our life. I'm going to tell you, there's coming a day when the fire of God will separate that which is worthy from that which is worthless. And Christian, it is no light thing to stand before the burning holiness of our God. Hebrews 12 and verse 29 reminds us, for our God is a consuming fire. And I'm going to tell you, it may look like gold here, but if it's cheap plastic imitation, it will melt and it will burn before the consuming fire of our holy God. There's coming a comprehensive revelation where our lives and that which we have done and built for Christ will be made manifest. The day will declare it. And hear me, Christian, the truth is, while God gives unmerited redemption, he gives salvation freely, amen? It's a gift. I don't earn it. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The truth is, while God gives unmerited redemption, he never gives unmerited reward. He never does. There's coming a day of comprehensive revelation, and I want my life to stand. I want to be inspection ready. We see the certain or the confirmed reservation. We, we see the comprehensive revelation, but I want you to see finally the compelling ramifications. You know, we ought to do something with this, Amen. We ought to be, this ought to motivate us to do something. Compelling ramifications. Read with me, if you would, verse 14 and 15 in unison. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. 
But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So we see a confirmed reservation. You will stand before God. I pray that you stand at the judgment seat of Christ and not the great white throne judgment. If you have any doubt about where you stand with God, get it settled today. Know that you know that you're saved. Amen? No one has to go here. No one does. You will stand before God. Not only is there a confirmed reservation, but there will be a complete or comprehensive revelation. Our lives will be revealed. God will make manifest that which we have built, whether it is good or whether it is bad, worthless. But I want you to see finally this morning, we have a compelling ramification here. That day that we stand before God will be a day of reward or it will be a day of regret. Now, let me be clear this morning. The reward is not eternal life. I, I want to I hit it again. The reward that Christ wants to give us is not eternal life. Eternal life, salvation, is a gift from Jesus Christ alone. The Bible makes it clear. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. Why? Because God's judgment here is not for heaven or hell. It's for reward. Salvation is not a reward. It is a gift. Rather, our judgment here is the reward is for victor's crowns, which signify blessing. And seemingly, according to Daniel and other books in the Bible, seemingly victor's crowns, blessing in a place of dignity and honor in Christ's kingdom. Christians, I want you to be encouraged. The Lord wants to praise you. He wants to give you reward. He he wants you to be able to come to that day and come joyfully, come boldly and not be ashamed. John wrote in John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 28. We'll go back to the one I skipped, Liz. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 28. Now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. He wants us to have confidence when he returns. And so be encouraged. The Lord will praise you where he can. Be inspired. God is not looking to ruin you. He wants to reward you. Look at the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 4, look at verse number 5. We're admonished to therefore judge nothing before the time unto the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall God give, then shall every man have praise of God. God wants to reward us. So Christian, we got to get that through our heads. Because how many of us know sometimes we as Christians, we do the guilt thing really well. Well, no matter how hard I work, I could always work harder. And no matter how much I could always, and da-da-da. God doesn't want to ruin you. God wants to reward you. Well, I don't feel it. Well, who cares about your feelings? That's what the Bible says. Get over your feelings. And be biblical in your thinking. I want you to see what Jesus said in Mark chapter 9 and verse number 41. Jesus said this, Whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. God wants to reward us. He doesn't want to ruin you. 
This is to be a joyous time of recognition and reward for how we have lived for Christ. But Paul does make it clear that a day of reward for one could be a day of regret for another. Over in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul gives us a little bit of a different analogy. Here we have a building analogy. In 1 Corinthians 9, we have an athletic analogy. Paul says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. So a man trying to win. Think of the Olympics. A man who is wanting to be the best. He has to be temperate or or self-controlled, disciplined in all things. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown. You think about the training and eating regimens that those runners and swimmers and gymnasts have to maintain. It's incredible what they have to do. And they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But you and I as Christians, as we seek to live for Christ, and yes, we seek to be disciplined and be temperate and and to do all we can for Christ, we do it for an incorruptible crown. Look what Paul said, verse 26. He said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. He said, but I keep my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. Now that castaway, what that means is Paul is given the analogy to be disqualified from reward. Paul said, it would be a shame that I'm helping all these other people run for Christ and then I would do some things that would cause myself to be disqualified from reward. You think about in the Olympics, all of the performance-enhancing drugs that had become the scandal of the day. And if you're found taking a, a PED, they'll take your medals away. They'll take all of it away. I read one very interesting story about a guy named Fred Lorenz. He was an American back in 1904 at the Olympic Games in St. Louis. He was a marathon runner. He got tired at the nine-mile marker, so his coach picked him up in a car and drove him for 11 miles, then dropped him off to run the rest of the race. They eventually caught him. He lost his medals. You guys remember Ryan Lochte, the swimmer who lied about getting mugged when he was in Brazil? Lost his sponsors. Lost his honor and lost his prestige. We didn't take away his American citizenship. But he had nothing to show for the life he had lived. There will be those who choose to live for self and choose to live for flesh and and choose choose to be motivated by what is convenient and what is nice for them and what others think. And I'm going to tell you, in that day, the day of reward for some could be a day of regret for others. And when we come to that day and our lives are judged by the consuming fire of God, here's what we have to understand. Here's the compelling ramifications That the results of that day, they cannot be changed and they cannot be challenged. It will be too late to say, I am sorry. It will be too late to wish you had taken your Christian life more seriously. And I'm afraid to say there will many who will be saved but have nothing to show. Well, I'll just be happy to be in heaven. You'll be you'll have greater regret than any Olympian who got caught cheating. No one will be okay with that. But church, I want you to leave this morning encouraged because the Lord will praise what he can. 
It is an award ceremony after all. I think about the fact that here in a week or two, at some point, we're going to have our big basketball, uh, soccer, volleyball, Christian school, sports award mathingers, right? And it's going to be great. So I got to coach the junior high team this year. Here's the thing. As I prepare for that day, you know what I'm doing as the coach? I am thinking about ways that I can honor those boys. You know what I'm not going to get up there and do? Well, you know, uh, this player, this player, he missed, he missed 87 shots this year. He turned the ball over 127 times. You know, if we didn't have you, we probably would have won more games. Let's see, this next player, well, you did a little bit better. You only missed 32 shots, and, but man, you didn't hit a single free throw. What's wrong with you? You went 0 for 12. That's awful. I've got third graders who do better than that. That's not what I'm doing in preparing for this. Were any of those kids perfect? No. But you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to stand up there and blast them for their imperfections. You know what I am going to do? I'm going to stand up there and I'm going to honor them for what I can. And there will be some that I can honor more. And there will be some that I can honor less. And to be honest, there have been a few years that I have coached. I've been doing it about 12 years now. Where it's not been a good year. And the kid's not had a good attitude. And they've not been a good teammate or, or, or a good player. They've disrespected and all those things. And I, I have to look at them and go, well, it's been a year. It's been a year. Awesome. So that's not fun for anybody. But I as the coach, man, I don't want to do that. If there's anything I can honor them for, I want to honor them. And I want to rejoice in what they've done. And I want to celebrate the team's accomplishments. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to honor and rejoice in, in what we've done and what he's done through us and, and the church that's been built and the lives that have been saved and the families that have been helped. He wants to honor us. Man, he wants to honor us. You know, I think one of the beautiful things that, that I get excited about is, you know, nothing is going to be hidden in his revelation. But you think about it, that he didn't really hide what his standards are for, for us are either. You know, if we just read this book, we'll know exactly what he's looking for. You know, the Bible specifically says that as our lives are judged, there are certain things that Jesus wants to reward. By the way, your sins were judged on the cross. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Your sins were judged on the cross if you're a Christian. But your life or service will be judged. And like the Olympics, God's given us some parameters for which he's going to judge our lives. And I'm not going to give you all the verses today. I know we've been going for a little while and i got a little bit yet to go. But hear me. Do the study yourself. You'll be blessed. What, what is God looking for? God's looking for you to be faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Whether you're a five-talent person, a two-talent person, a one-talent person, a half-a-talent person. God doesn't care how many. He cares that you are faithful. See, the guy that got five got the same commendation as the guy that had two and did something with it. God wants you to be faithful. 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 
Be faithful. Be faithful to church. Be faithful to church. Be faithful to the service God's given you. Be faithful. Be faithful to read your Bible. Be faithful to pray. Be faithful to love others. Be faithful. Be faithful to give. Be faithful to go. Be faithful. God wants us to be faithful. What else does God want? God wants us to be fruitful. There's a crown for those who love souls. Well, I'm not a soul when I'm not real good at getting people saved. You don't get people saved. God gets people saved. What are we called to do? Some sow, some water, but God gives the increase. So God is looking to reward those who are looking to love on souls. It really is that simple. God's looking to reward those who are looking to love on souls. Be faithful. Be fruitful. Be focused. Paul talks about there is a crown for those who are looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus, who love his appearing. By the way, not very many people are looking for the Lord anymore. I mean, not very many Christians. I mean, how many of us gave any thought to the fact that Jesus could come back last week? Did we think about it on Monday? Did we think about it on Tuesday? Did we think about it on Wednesday? Honestly, probably, the vast majority of people went through all of last week and never once thought about the fact that this could be the day that Jesus comes again. But Paul says there's a reward waiting for those who love his appearing. So what? Be faithful. Be fruitful. Be focused. Be focused on what? The glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Be loving. You know, as I think about these things, be faithful, be fruitful, care about souls, be focused on the glory of God, be looking for the return of Christ, be loving towards other believers and, and the lost around you. You know, you know here, here's what I realized. When I think about all of those things, I think about the reality that every one of us can do every one of those. Well, I can't preach a sermon. God never asked you to preach a sermon. Well, I, I, I'm not real good at knocking on doors, cold call. Well, maybe God gave you your neighbor to love. Maybe you don't have to go to my street. Maybe you can stay on yours. Well, I can't. Yes, you can. You can be faithful. You can be fruitful. You can be focused on the glory of God. You, you can be looking for Christ's return. You can be loving to other Christians and, 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 and the unsaved around you. You can do all of those things. God set the bar in such a place that every one of us who know him can do these things. Every one of us can. You don't have to lead a revival. You don't have to become a world leader. You don't have to become the next Billy Graham. You can simply serve God where you are. And one day stand before him. And find that for his glory you have built a structure of gold and silver and precious stone that will last for all eternity. The list I gave is not an all-inclusive list, but it is part of the list that God has clearly given us. And we'd be foolish to ignore what we know. The compelling ramifications. Church Daniel Webster once said that the greatest thought that ever occupied his mind was the sense of his individual responsibility to God. Can I ask you this morning? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God and give an account 
I'm going to tell you, it ought to be a day that we look forward to. It ought to be a day that we anticipate with great joy. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, you've, there's never been a point in time in your life where you have turned to the Lord Jesus and, and received Him and what He has done for your salvation. I want to encourage you in just a moment, get it settled today. Get my attention. Get someone's attention. Let us take the Bible and show you what God has done that you might be saved. You need to know where you stand with Him before you stand before Him. Are you ready? Christian, this morning, are you ready? I want to encourage you, wherever you are, whoever you are this morning, to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Christian, if there's unconfessed sin in your life, repent. Christian, if there's wasted time, wasted talents, wasted treasures, squandered opportunities, redeem them. Don't allow ignorance and indifference to God's word and God's will remain any longer. As the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning, would you obey Him? Why would we wait to obey God? Let's make the decision today to get rid of the cheap junk and start building with what will last. We'll leave you with this last bit of good news and then we'll have a time of invitation. The good news is that no matter where you find yourself today, before you stand at a throne of judgment, you have access today to a throne of grace. And I pray that each of us will come before that throne of grace today that on that day we might find ourselves inspection ready. Standing together this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed.